just met someone and the conversation leads to the inevitable question. So, what do you do? A simple question calls for a simple answer. But what if your answer is never simple? What if your answer defies the societal norms? What does career happiness mean to you? This show dives into convention-breaking career choices, uncovering narratives of working professionals, and creating a space for those who wish to pursue their passions. This is So What Do You Do? Hey guys, welcome to So What Do You Do? Today we have Bernie Wagenbust. So Bernie, what do you do? Well, I do a few different things. I'm a transportation journalist, so I do several different transportation-related newsletters that I put together. And I also do uh, a fair amount of voiceover work, particularly transportation voiceover work. So those are the, uh, the two broad categories of, of what I do. So what are three adjectives that you would use to describe yourself? What three adjectives would I pick? Well, I think one thing that I've tried to do, and this is something that I try to do with my voiceover work, is be friendly and sounding friendly. But when I'm with people, I try to be uh, funny. I find that humor cuts through a, a lot of tension sometimes. And I think being a journalist, I could describe myself as being curious. So friendly, funny, and curious, I think would be the three adjectives I would pick. Those are great. <laughs> Just to back <laughs> it up a little bit, can you tell us a little more about yourself, maybe some background? Sure. As far as uh, growing up, I grew up in a, a, the town that I live in now called Cranford, New Jersey, uh, not too far from New York City. And from about, oh, I'd say fifth grade on, being in radio was, was something that I wanted to do. So I'd been working toward that all through middle school and high school and college, and that was something that I really just had my mind set on and my heart set on as well. And fortunately, I was uh, lucky enough to do that. I went to uh, Seton Hall University in South Orange, New Jersey, where I was very involved with the college radio station, WSOU, and was news director there and did a few different things as well when I was in college. And after that, I, I would say the big break that I had was just a year or so after I had graduated from college when this new company called Shadow Traffic came to New York. And the idea behind Shadow Traffic was that they were going to provide traffic reports for most of the radio stations in and around New York City. And I was one of the original reporters for them, and that's way back in 1979. That's so interesting. So I know currently you're a traffic journalist and writer, as you mentioned, and you do voiceovers, but what made you interested in entering the voice acting industry? Well, it was something that I didn't do a lot of until relatively recently when technology made it a lot simpler to do it. I had done some voiceover work here and there, but it was usually at the request of someone else, and they had the facilities. But nowadays, you don't need a fancy studio to do it. You can do it with a microphone plugged into your computer and a relatively quiet place to record. So that was what I think prompted me to do it much more actively. But from, again, when I was a little kid, even in school, Anytime the teacher asked for someone to volunteer to read something out loud, I would be the one to raise my hand. The first club I, I joined when I was in uh, junior high was something called the Announcers Club. We were the kids that did the morning and the afternoon announcements, told you when the uh, chess club was meeting, and recited the Pledge of Allegiance at the start of the school day and things like that. So I've always liked using my voice and now I'm, I'm fortunate to, to be able to do it more with the voiceover work, but having worked in radio, that's kind of voiceover work, except it's all live. You don't have a chance to do a second take usually with radio. 
Yeah, it's so nice hearing your voice because it sounds so eloquent and clear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank you. What do you think are the specific trainings that are involved in voice acting? Well, uh, one thing I would say is for someone who wants to go into the field, probably to start doing the thing that I started doing, and that's just practicing reading out loud. That makes a difference. You learn how to use your voice. The way I describe a voice is kind of like an instrument. You know, you can have the greatest piano on the stage at Carnegie Hall, and if someone who doesn't know how to play the piano goes up there and starts banging away on the keys, it's not going to sound very good. But if you get someone who has been trained and knows how to use that instrument, it can sound wonderful. And the same thing I think is true of your voice. You can be gifted with a wonderful speaking voice, but if you don't know how to use it, it doesn't do a whole lot of good for you. So I think learning how to use your voice, how to be expressive, how to use silence, how to do all those different things with your voice that make it more of an instrument, really, I think, are, are key. One thing that I didn't do when I was growing up that I wish I had, and I would certainly recommend this to any young person, especially who is interested in going into voiceover work, or even an older person who wants to get involved with voiceover work, and that's to do some acting classes. Now, fortunately, when I'm doing voice work, nobody sees what I look like, but you have to do everything with your voice. So learning how to act, I think, teaches you another element of how to use your voice and how to be expressive. So that's the one other thing I think I would suggest. That's so interesting because I think especially with voiceover work, you have to tell the story with only your voice. That's your only means of communication with the audience. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the places where that didn't exist years ago that, that is available now for voiceover people and a place where you especially need to have that kind of training is if you're doing audiobooks. Because, you know, take something like Harry Potter. You've got the actor who is reading that book, and he has to be all of the characters in that book. There are no sound effects that he can uh, take advantage of. He has to create that whole image just with his or her voice. So I think that's why it's so important to be able to use that and communicate that to the listener. You're involved in so many things. You also host a podcast called Transportation Radio, and you're the editor of the Transportation Communications Newsletter. So can you tell us maybe a little bit more about these projects? Sure. The Transportation Communications Newsletter was something I started over 20 years ago. And I think part of it goes back to when I was in school and learning about the history of broadcasting. You know, we heard about the beginnings of radio back in the 1920s and the beginnings of television in the 1950s. And I thought, wow, you know, it must have been great to have been involved with broadcasting back in the beginning and to be on the ground floor in the so-called golden age of both radio and television. I wish I had, you know, had that opportunity. Well, in the 1990s was kind of when the internet came along and started to explode. And I thought, well, I, here's my opportunity to be involved with a new medium that's just getting started. So I created this online email newsletter, and I've been doing it every day now, Monday through Friday, for, like I say, over 20 years. And it it's kind of calls in a couple of things. Part of my background is journalism. I'd worked in news for a good part of my career, so it's using some of those journalistic skills. And then the podcast is both using journalism skills, but also using some of my broadcasting experience to do interviews with individuals and to talk to them and to, to try to get information about different things. But the niche is focused on transportation with those. And because I've worked in the transportation field a good part of my career, 
it's kind of a combination of the two different aspects of my career that uh, I very much enjoy doing and have managed to find uh, my own little specialty doing. Oh, interesting. Wow. wow. I love how you combine both of the things you're passionate about and completely transforming them into a very interesting topic that others may not have really understood before. And what about transportation systems intrigue you? Well, I think there's a few things. You know, I, I think back to even when I was a little kid, I would take my little toy trucks and play with them going along maps on roadways and, and things of that sort. And I've always been interested in transportation, not as a career necessarily, but just the curiousness of where does this rail line go or where does this road lead? Uh, let's try this other route and, and let's see if we can get there then. And sometimes you end up on a dead end, but you still find out something or maybe you discover something. And I think that's what's interesting to me about it. I'm not a trained transportation professional. I'm certainly no engineer or anything like that. But just the whole idea of how we get about everything from being a pedestrian to going into space there are different aspects to it that I find very interesting and in, in how you do that. I know that you started off not necessarily as a voice actor in your career, but when you did tell your friends and family that you were going to become a voice actor specifically for, you know, subway stations, what did they think? How did they react? <laughs> well, I think they weren't terribly surprised because it was something that kind of combined my transportation and communications backgrounds into one Thing. And they, they certainly have heard my voice on the radio, so they knew that I was interested in using my voice. But I think when the opportunity to be one of the voices on the New York City subway came along, uh, they were pretty impressed with that, I, as was I. I was certainly surprised. I never had anticipated being a voice that literally millions of people hear every year riding on the New York City subways. So you couldn't ask for a bigger audience than I ever had when I was on the radio, and that includes being on the air in, in New York City. Mm. And having interviewed many people and talked to many people on the radio about a variety of transportation topics, what are some misconceptions that people hold about the transportation industry? Well, I think one of the things that maybe is a little bit of a misconception is that if you're in a car, you're kind of anticipating that really there's there's hardly any cost. The only time you really are thinking about the cost of transportation if you're driving is when you go to the gas pump and have to pay to fill up your tank. But the rest of the time you don't think about that. But there are a lot of costs that go along with that. And I think people just kind of assume that the, the roadways, the highways, the bridges, the tunnels, all those things are there and don't think too much about the cost that goes into building them and to maintaining them. You'll hear a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, they've had tolls at the George Washington Bridge for 80 years now. How come they haven't paid that off? And, well, they may have paid off the initial expense of building the bridge, but trying to maintain something like that with all the traffic that goes over it is an ongoing expense, and it's certainly not something that's inexpensive to do. So I think that's probably one of the misconceptions that people have. And I think another big misconception, especially again when it comes to driving, is people sit in rush hour traffic, and maybe they're in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic, and think, well, if they just added another lane, that would make everything better. And that may be true for a short time, but generally speaking from history, what we found is you add another lane and before you know it, it fills up with traffic and you're right back to where you started with everybody sitting in bumper to bumper traffic during the rush hour. So those are, I think, maybe two of the big misconceptions that folks have. Right. I never actually thought about that until yeah. you told us. <laughs> <laughs> 
so going back to just a little bit of your subway announcements, I know that you had a feature in the New York Times that was titled Fantasy Subway Announcements. So maybe you can explain a little bit about what that was and also what that experience was like for you. Sure. Well, maybe I should start off by by giving an example of what people hear in the subway and, and hearing it in my, my so-called subway voice. And maybe that'll bring up some, some recognition. Please stand away from the platform edge. The next, downtown, number two, will arrive in three minutes. So that's a, a that's sort of an example of one of the subway announcements. <laughs> but the uh, the thing with the New York Times, that was kind of fun. I, and I think, you know, a lot of credit to the MTA. They, they went along with that and, you know, were happy to, to poke a little bit of fun at, at some of the announcements. What we did with that was the New York Times asked their readers for things that they wished they could hear in the subway. And people sent in all sorts of suggestions, everything from segments of poems to uh, talking about volleyball and having the train go to uh, stops in uh, California and such. But the best one, in my mind, was a rap song that someone wrote. And I have absolutely no experience as a rapper, as you might guess. But they put it together, and I managed to at least get into the rhythm of doing that. And then the folks from the New York Times put together sort of the background music, if you will, and made me sound much better than I really was (laughs) with doing that. So that was fun. And one of the neat things of that was a couple of years ago, I'm sitting at home one day, it's October, and I'm suddenly getting a lot of messages about people saying, you're in the PSAT. And I'm saying, what are you talking about? Well, it turns out that they had used a segment of that story as part of the reading comprehension section of the PSAT. So sophomores and juniors from across the United States were reading about me in their PSAT test. And that was uh, certainly one of the more unusual things that's ever happened with me with one of my uh, voiceover announcements was having it noticed by uh, all these students on the PSAT test. That is incredible. So amazing. (laughs) We were also listening to the rap that you did before this interview, and we were just having a little party in the studio while listening to it. (laughs) And why do you think it is important to humanize these subway announcements? Well, I think for a couple of reasons. First of all, one of the things I tried to keep in mind when I was recording the announcements is that it's not just for the everyday commuters who are traveling, you know, to and from Brooklyn, let's say, and and hear this multiple times a day, but it's for the tourists, it's for people who are coming to the city for the first time and really aren't sure how to get around. You know, it's, it's almost second nature when you've lived here for a while, figuring out how to use the system. But if you're from out of town and you've never been on the New York City subway, it can be pretty intimidating. So one of the things I tried to do was to to make it sound friendly. You know, you're only recording little segments of information, but there's still that opportunity to have a smile in your voice, which is one of the things that I tried to do so that it sounds like, you know, somebody cares about you, somebody is friendly. But I think doing those announcements in the New York Times, uh, that was probably geared more toward a New York audience. And these people that hear these constant announcements about how long it will be before their train arrives in the station were able to uh, maybe get a little bit of a smile on their face that day when they happen to listen to that and you know realize that there was a real person and it's not just a computer that's speaking to them every uh, morning and afternoon. 
and especially as an international student i often hear people saying like new yorkers are super unfriendly but i think with the way you're humanizing the subway announcement i think you're breaking the stereotype of new yorkers being unfriendly or really busy which i think is a really nice way to break the stigma well thank you thank you that's one of the things i tried to do and it's nice to hear from somebody that uh, has been accomplished a little bit so to back it up just a little bit how did you first get involved with being the voice uh, for these mta systems well it goes back to that job i told you about being a traffic reporter way back in 1979 i did that for about five years and at the time i just viewed it as a, a job in radio and i was lucky to be on the air in new york city in my early 20s and and to do that but what i didn't realize at the time was that was sort of my introduction to the world of transportation and when i left doing traffic reporting i spent the next oh 25 years or so working in the area of transportation not on the radio for the most part still doing some occasional voiceover work but mostly in operations for transportation in the new york metropolitan area and by doing that i had met a number of people that worked in transportation including some folks over at the mta so when they came up with this project for the countdown clocks that you see in the subways now they uh, had approached me and said would you be interested in doing that they knew i had a, a broadcasting background And I think they saw as someone who had a decent speaking voice, but also was familiar with the transportation network in the region. So I didn't need a whole lot of coaching with how to pronounce some of the different names that you have to do for the various stations and such. So I think it was just sort of the the stars aligned, and I was fortunate enough to be asked to do that. And, you know, I've done a few other transportation projects. I'm the voice for the air train over at Newark Airport. I was the original voice on the air train at JFK Airport, and I even do some announcements down in the South Jersey, Philadelphia area on Patco. And in fact, just around Christmas time, they had me uh, play Santa and do the announcements in Santa's voice. So (laughs) (laughs) that that was fun. I love that. that. (laughs) And we're going home soon for the holidays, so we'll keep an ear out for your voice. So as a voice actor, most of your work also involves recording in a studio booth independently. And what would you say is the most challenging part about, you know, working in isolation like this? Well, you know, I was lucky in that working in radio, you pretty much work in isolation already, where you're you're in a studio by yourself, you're talking into a microphone, but you're talking to thousands of people that are at the other end, whether they're in their car or at home or wherever they may be. So it wasn't that unusual for me to to make the transition from speaking on the radio by myself in isolation to doing voiceover work. I think the biggest change with it was when you're on the radio, you're live for the most part. So if you mess up, you have to live with that and just keep on going. Whereas with voiceover work, you have the opportunity to try a a second take or a third take and hopefully get it right. So it really wasn't that difficult for me to to do that. And I think, again, the idea of whether you're on the radio or you're doing a voiceover project is you have to picture in your mind that person that you're speaking to, not thinking of an audience of multiple people, but just thinking of an individual that you're talking to and try to let them know that you're communicating to them and telling them a story. And I think that's a big part of whether you're doing a traffic report, a news report, or a voiceover, is that you're hopefully telling a story. And that's what draws people in. I think this kind of goes into the next question I had, but do you think there's a way to make positive change in the world as a voice for these subway announcements or just really, I guess, for voiceovers in general? And how do you think that you achieve that? 
Well, again, I think it goes back to that idea that I had mentioned of putting a smile in your voice. You don't want to just be conveying information. You want to make it sound like there's a real human being who's concerned about you getting that information and understanding that information. So I think that's a big part of it. And one of the comments I remember that people would sometimes make when they first debuted these subway announcements is that people would say, oh, well, I miss the people with the New York accent from on the subway cars that would do the announcements. And there was a Saturday Night Live skit uh, many years ago where they had a couple of people in one of the old token booths when they sold tokens on the subway and as people would come up and ask for information about you know how do you get to Times Square or something like that you would hear these two people in this skit talking back to the the customers and it would sound and you couldn't understand what they were saying so what I try to make sure is that hopefully people can understand by enunciating and if I can make their visit just a little less stressful I think that's one positive way that I can contribute to uh, to what they're doing. And again, just uh, sharing information with them, like you're doing right now with this podcast, to let people know about something that they might find of interest, hopefully makes a, a positive change. Thank you for those kind words. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I just have a fun little question. So when you're with your friends on the subway, do they know that it's you or do you just pretend like you don't know? <laughs> Yeah, I think most of them probably know now that it is me because, you know, I've certainly mentioned it to them and it, it's been mentioned elsewhere. So I think a lot of people do that. I'll get comments from people, not when I'm with them on the subway, but when they happen to make a visit and saying uh, people will look at them because they'll hear my voice and they'll say, thanks, Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're expecting me to talk back to them. So, you know, things like that will happen. I, I think one of the funnier stories I had mentioned about being the voice on the air train at Newark Airport and I was there with my daughters when they were much younger, and we were taking the train, and you know I'm doing the announcement over the uh, loudspeaker on the train, and I jokingly said to them, and there was somebody else who we didn't know that was riding in the car with us, and I said, oh, I think I can do an imitation of this guy, and I started saying the same words that I was saying over the loudspeaker, and my daughters just died of embarrassment <laughs> with, with what dad was doing. <laughs> That's so cute. That's great. So in your mind, what would you define as career happiness? Oh, let's see. Well, I think if you can do something that you enjoy, that's certainly a big step toward career happiness. And I think defining for yourself what's important to you. You know, is it making money? Is it making the world better? You know, what is it for you as an individual that makes you feel fulfilled? And then can you accomplish that? I think having work that's challenging is something that's interesting for me. One of the big things that I've enjoyed, and I've been very fortunate several times in my career to be involved with it, is to be involved with something that's being created, something that's new. Like I mentioned, shadow traffic when that was brand new was, you know, now everybody hears it all the time on the radio, but back in 1979, this was a brand new concept. So being involved with that when it was created was certainly a lot of fun because you're kind of making the rules up as you go along with something like that as opposed to being involved with something that's been around for a number of years and you just happen to join it you don't have that same opportunity to have input again that might be different for different individuals some people might like that knowledge that 
things are already set and you know they know what their role is and, and just going in and doing their role but for me it was a lot of fun being involved with creating things. That's really great advice and it seems like you found your passion ever since you were young. Do you have any advice for someone who might currently be unhappy with their job or at a crossroads on their purpose in life? You have to identify for yourself what is it that you enjoy doing and you know obviously we don't always have the opportunity to do something that we enjoy right off the start but even if you're in a job that not, isn't necessarily fulfilling or you don't enjoy that much if you can find aspects of it that you enjoy doing are there parts of that current job that you can maybe do more of go to your boss and say hey I really enjoy this part of it and see if you can design aspects of the job that showcase what your interests are or maybe use your particular talents. Try to make that job unique to you as opposed to just filling in whatever the job description is for that particular job, trying to make it special for what you want it to be. I think that would be a key thing. And then obviously, uh, as you get further along in your career, if you have the opportunity to go off on your own or to find that ideal job, certainly take advantage of it. But that always isn't possible and sometimes it's not something that you don't get to do until much later in your career but uh, you can work toward that throughout your career that's so great thank you so much Bernie, for sitting down and sharing your story with us oh it's my pleasure joanna and arnella i really enjoyed talking with you today and uh, i hope uh, the listeners enjoyed it as well thank you so much do you mind if you used your voiceover <laughs> skills to say this <laughs> Sure, I would be happy to. I can even make it sound a little like a subway announcement. Yes, How's please. that sound? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You've been listening to So, What Do You Do? My name is Bernie Wagonblast. Thanks for listening. Yay! Yay. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to The Debrief, where we discuss our own perspectives on the interview and apply some of our own experiences and background to the conversation. Bernie! Yes, that was so great. <laughs> so great. I just, I'm mesmerized by his voice. <laughs> Every time he did the subway thing, it was both exciting and traumatizing. Oh, because it <laughs> brings you flashback To the subway adventures and <laughs> getting lost in the subway, to waiting for something and being late. Yeah. But, you know, now that I think about it, the voice is the highlight. It's the, it's the actual subway system that yeah. I guess is so traumatizing. <laughs> yeah, and then now whenever you're gonna experience a traumatizing situation on the subway, you can just hear the voice and think of Bernie yeah. and how much he <laughs> has impacted our lives. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, as a host of this podcast, and it's something new that we're doing, so, you know, trying to be able to speak freely on the spot can sometimes be challenging, but by listening to Bernie, I feel like I got a master class from him on how to enunciate and articulate better just by listening to his voice. Yeah, I think it's such a gift. Like, I don't think people really recognize the full value of having such a, a voice that is clear, that is easy to understand, and that still holds a sense of friendliness and warmth to it. Yeah, the golden voice of the subway. <laughs> <laughs> so what struck out to you the most from the interview? I just think that it's interesting because Bernie is one of our interviewees that, you know, he knew from a very young age that this is at least the industry that he wanted to be in. You know, he had a passion for transportation, but also radio. And I feel like a lot of people that we've talked to thus far have had some sort of moment where they shift and then they, they become something that they are now. But I think what was so cool about him is his passions for transportation and speaking just mixed perfectly together into this job. Yeah. He said that when he was little, he would 
volunteer himself to read aloud in the class and yeah. then he would play with all of these toy trucks and then years later he works in the industry now and he's such a great professional in it too he really just breezed over this point but i thought it really struck me as he has such dedication and determination because the newsletter that he yes. hosts he's been sending that for 20 years oh every day goodness. from monday to friday and i think that's so hard to do something every day for 20 years i can't imagine that's how long i've been that's more than how long i've been alive so (laughs) i know the level of commitment to share his joy and passion about what he's interested in to people in the community who love it as much as he does wow that's so inspiring Mm -hmm. i mean keeping up with the podcast episodes it's hard to do it every week but doing it for 20 years i mean that's inspiring it's crazy yeah one of the main ideas that i loved was his way of humanizing subway announcements yeah yeah and i think for the bigger picture it just goes to show that sometimes we take the littlest things like listening to subway announcements for granted so changing this by putting a positive spin just shines a light on how our world can be changed through a simple manner you know he has such a warm personality and he's using his talent of his voice to change our lives for the better by simply putting a smile on our face through his voice work I, I, I agree. I also think that it's so cool that he has this curiosity that's linked to transportation. Mm. And I think what he mentioned in the podcast was that he always wonders like, oh, where does this line go to? How far does it go? And I think it's so linked to the idea of adventure, opportunity and journey. And oh. I think those are three things that really fit both, you know, literally because he's in transportation, but also parallel to that very metaphorically in his life. Um, just the adventure of finding new ways to use his his talents opportunity in the sense that when the you know as he mentioned he got his start in this mta kind of announcing almost by chance like he just happened to be in that industry and they needed someone and they knew him to be good at voice just speaking clearly and so they put him in there so that's kind of the opportunity and then the journey just that there is such a journey that i feel like he's been on to get to this point Mm. it was a consistent journey but i felt like every year or every moment in his life just escalated to a whole new level every time so this growth and this improvement that i learned just by listening to him speak for you know half an hour is truly all inspiring i think i love it and also the rap that he mentioned is it's so fun (laughs) yeah oh my gosh i love it too we were having a little party as we mentioned yeah (laughs) so if you want to know what we were talking about in the interview about the rap here it is there is a manhattan bound two train arriving in three minutes check it this is the voice of supreme articulation spitting mad 411 into subway station when i give a service change you get a heart palpitation throw your hands in the air for new york mass transportation you've been hearing my voice 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 and voice since four you can remember down here you cannot escape me i'm your train's number one member but until yesterday i was a man with no face that's all changing now that's all changing now that's all changing now, 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 now. Check out NY Times web space. And there's a name with that face, and it's a name you can trust. Like the voice that it owns, it will not tarnish nor rust. You don't commute in a stagecoach with John Wayne riding past. But what a few knew, now we all know, is Wagon Blast. Wagon Blast. Wagon Blast. Wagon Blast. Wagon Blast. Wagon, 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 wagon Blast. 
Yo, I'm out. Don't hold the door as you keep the whole train up. That's ignorant. It's rush hour. You can wait five minutes. That was so amazing. Yes. <laughs> Just for him to step out of his comfort zone and do something like this. It's to bring joy to people. To bring joy to people is so incredible. If you want to find out more about Bernie and his work, make sure to check out his website, transportationradio.wordpress.com. If you want to find out more about this program or listen to previous episodes, check us out on Spotify and SoundCloud at So What Do You Do? Or on our Instagram at SWDYD Podcast. If you want to get to know us more, follow us on Instagram at Arnell Ariana and at It's Just Joanna. Thank you so much for tuning in to So What Do You Do? I'm Joanna Yamakami. And I'm Arnell Ariana. Join us again next week for another episode. Bye! Bye! Mr. Potter, your train awaits you at platform nine and three quarters.